Mitch Rainwater here on the Designated Drummer Podcast, and I am going to talk to you a little bit today about soundcheck. This is going to be all about soundcheck. Everything you wanted to know or were curious about a soundcheck, which you know what that is, right? That's where a band comes in and before the show, sometime during the day or whatever, um, sometimes it could even be kind of like, you know, close to like almost before the show if if there's no crowd forming yet you come out there and you do um a couple of songs for the sound man and for the sound crew and for each other and that kind of thing and that is for to get everything nice and tight and sounding good and there's no feedback and there's no ambiguity about the sound you get everything sounding good now there's two kinds of uh situations that we found our we have found ourselves in being on the road in a band and you know, it's the comfortable one is to have a sound check during the day, you know, middle of the day or, you know, and, and, and of course when there's multiple acts, when there's like an opening act and things like that, there is a kind of a reverse order that you do. There's a, there's an actual pecking order of who sound checks first. And then when they're done, then the other band sets up and it's sort of in reverse order. So the closing act will do their thing first. And then the next act on the bill, the middle actor, let's say there's a middle act, they would do theirs next. And then the opening band would be the very last one to sound check. So it's, so it's almost like you're thinking of it, think of it as the last thing that you sound check should be the first thing that the, the audience hears. So you see what I'm saying? So, um, there's no surprise about it. You've, you've already done, you've basically, the last thing you did was your first song. So you're going to be able to play that perfect and there's not going to be any surprises or anything like that. So, I would like to talk about the the main things about soundcheck, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there are all three. There's good, there's bad, and there's it can be ugly at times, you know, especially if you are kind of starting out and you're playing these small clubs and it's the space is an issue, power may be an issue. Um, sometimes there are small stages. And now back in the day, in the old days, you know, I sound like an old man, get off my lawn. Um, back in the old days when we just had wedges, there were no in-ear monitors. Nobody had in-ear monitors on stage. Now in the studio you did, you could put headphones on or whatever. But back in the day when we were playing clubs and things like that around the Dallas Fort Worth areas where I grew up playing, we had wedges like speakers that sat on the floor and you had to turn whatever you wanted in your mix, your own little PA, your little, you know, what you needed to hear to sing or play or whatever you would have the monitor engineer or in some cases it's the same just one sound guy and on the board you would have a section that you could set monitors like okay you want that in your wedge it's almost a two two separate mixes one for well i should say uh the main mix for the audience and then there's like how many ever guys is on stage that many mixes like there's because each person on stage has his own little mix right so a lot of times during sound check, that's when you set that. You know, you would say, uh, "I need a little more kick drum. I need a little more snare. I need a little more uh, guitar. Can you put the bass up a little bit?" And you, and that would just sometimes take forever. Luckily, since we are out on the road with a great crew and we've been doing this for a long time, we are fully self-contained, mostly self-contained. We don't bring big giant speakers or anything, but we bring our own board, uh, our own soundboard, and it is already preset for all the sounds and all the EQs and everything that we need. 
So really all we have to do is our sound guy, Kyle, he just goes in and he plugs everything, everything gets plugged in and he goes and he runs a line check and makes sure everything's, you know, coming through and everything's already EQ'd. So there's no surprises there. Now on a fly date, that changes drastically. Now, sometimes we are able to order up the same mixer that we have and we can just pop in a, a little SD card that has everything the same, but in some cases... We don't get that luxury, so we have to start from scratch, which I will tell you the kind of order of how a proper sound check should go if you don't already have everything plugged in. If everything is sort of new, you've flown in, you're renting equipment, or you're in a band and you're playing a club for the first time or whatever, um, what the sort of order is in a proper sound check, and I will run do a little rundown for you of how that goes. Normally, okay, once the sound guy gets everything, the crew and the sound guy gets everything plugged in and does a line check to make sure every microphone is exactly in the channel it's supposed to be in. So you're not really getting any full sound. So you may thump on the mic or it may be like a tom mic or a snare mic that you just kind of get a little thump and it's okay, that one's good, you know, and move on. Uh, That's not really necessarily sound check. That's just a line check to make sure all the lines are working. Then the band comes in and sits down and each person uh kind of has their own little personal thing that they want in their mix so you would some a lot of times you would start with the drums you would start with kick drum and then snare and then hi-hat and then the toms and then you do the cymbals and you give them a full now kyle our our uh wizard at the mixing board i will call him he is truly a wizard he's awesome he likes to mix uh everything the drum kit, let's say, he likes to mix the drum kit all at one time. Like he just wants me to play a beat. And he has a reason for that. And it's a really smart reason. If you, if I hit the kick drum and then the snare separate and then the toms and stuff like that, he said, nowhere in the show is that ever going to happen. There's never just a kick drum or a snare or these toms all by themselves. There's just not that sound. There is just no reason for that sound, to check that sound. So he likes to get the full kit, me playing the full kit with the toms, everything incorporated. And I know how to do that. I play a beat where I sort of incorporate fills and things like that into the toms. And I give Kyle everything that he needs during that mix because he said that's more realistic uh, to hear a full beat with all the drums playing at the same time. And he can dial things in a lot easier that way. Um, that's pretty smart, but I have had sound guys in the past, um, over the years that like to do things separate. Um, a good friend of mine that had passed away a few years ago, Barney Castro, God rest his soul. He was the, one of the best sound men I had ever worked with. When I was in Canyon, he was our sound man the whole time I was in Canyon. I was in Canyon for five years, five and a half years, something like that. And Barney was our awesome sound man, uh, he was amazing and he he was good at improvising you know he was he was the a king at like walking into a situation where we'd never been in before and plug even if it was equipment that he'd never touched before he could figure it out and find out how everything the best way to hook everything up and the way to get the best sound out of everything, even the people that own the equipment or the club or whatever would say, oh, here's what the way we normally do it. Barney would come in and say, well, here's a better way to do it. So he was really good at that. And Barney and I used to have a kind of a thing that we did, uh, me on stage, getting the drum set, and him out front. 
with the, you know running the knobs and the EQs and stuff like that, we had this way of he wanted to be able to get the the toms. Let's just say the toms. He wanted to be able to get the toms up as loud as he could without them ringing, without them having any feedback or anything like that. Now, remember, this was back with wedges. These are back with wedges, and so you would get a lot of feedback on stage, a lot of stage volume. And so we had this sort of technique that we did that I'll share with you that I thought was really cool. And what we would do is I would hit the tom, and we would we kind of orchestrated this. I would hit the tom, and he would crank it up all the way to 11, I mean, as far as it could, until it would purposely feedback and it would ring. The tom would ring in the PA. And I would take a drum key and I would tune that drum up or down or sideways or whatever to make that drum, that that ring kind of go away a little bit. So it was kind of a, a, a dance between he and I, him turning the volume up and maybe messing with the EQ a little bit here and there. And I would sort of ring out tune the ring out with with the drum key and that worked pretty well because then when the band was playing and we were at full volume he had full confidence that he could turn those toms up as loud as he wanted to and he knew they weren't going to ring because we've already taken the ring out so that's that was one way that we did that and so having a sound man have a great communication and a great relationship with uh, the band, each band member, and to be able to communicate what he needs or she needs to get a good sound. Um, and normally, you know, you would kind of start with, uh, let's say you're starting from scratch on a fly date or something like that. Um, the pecking order kind of goes like this. It's usually drums first, drums, you know, play the drum kit, and then everything sounds good out front. Then maybe the bass player will play a little bit the guitar player, and then the keys, and then maybe an acoustic guitar. And then you start with the vocals, the lead vocal first, and then you would move to the next guy and then the next guy. And then that's, you know, usually sounding pretty good out front. And that's not even the monitor mix yet. Then you have to start working on the monitor mix that I'm assuming these are with wedges, or even if you had in-ear monitors, if you're on a fly date, you may have to dial this in. It may not already be, um, you know, put into the mixer or whatever. This may all have to be done uh, one input at a time. And so this could take some time. And so it's important to have a good sound check, especially on a fly date or something like that where you don't really know what's going on. You've never played this place before. Let's say we flew up to Calgary, Canada, and we're playing this big club or something. And it's a big place and they have a nice PA and everything. But we could not bring, since we flew, we could not bring a big giant, you know, 500-pound mixer with us in a case and all that. So we have to deal with what they have for us. You know, we'll, our production manager will, um, they will call ahead and they will get a list of everything that we need. They'll give them a list of everything we need, everything from drums to amps to the PA and monitors and everything and the type of mixer we need and all that. And then hopefully everything is you know good gear and it's good quality stuff and but you just never know what you're going to get it's kind of like a box of chocolates you just never know what you're going to get but and and it's a good job for the sound man and the crew and the band to work together to try and get the best sound out of what you have so instead of complaining about something just try to figure out the best way to get the best sound out of out of what you have so if you're limited on mic inputs or something like that, maybe the drummer doesn't have a ride cymbal mic and you take that away and use it for the bass or something. Or, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they just have one overhead instead of two overheads. Um, just compromise a little bit and make it work. And so you would, 
normally run things around when you're, you know, say you've moved on, you've got the front of house done and it sounds good out there. The sound man's happy with everything. Then you have to start working on monitors because everybody has to be able to hear themselves and whoever they need to hear to play. And so each guy on stage or girl has their own mix. So it's like literally like a mix for every person on stage, which can a monitor engineer, if you do, if you are lucky enough to have a monitor engineer, just a separate person that just does that, then that's a pretty awesome thing. But I would not want that job for anything because, you know, during the show when tempers flare and you can't hear things and you're expected to perform and look like you're having a good time, you can get some, uh, some really mean glare looks from the band members if you are a monitor engineer and you get hand signals like turn this up turn that down you know, like it, you got to have a sign language so it helps to have i think a good a good monitor engineer has to learn sign language or at least has to learn musical sign language you know someone like strums the guitar and then points up you know what that means turn the guitar up um if they hit like their hand like a drum it probably means the snare turn the snare up a little bit if they tap their foot and point up that means to turn the kick drum up you know that kind of stuff it's it's kind of a sign language thing but hopefully during a if you have a good sound check these things can all be taken care of ahead of time and then everything's comfortable and fun and entertaining on stage and you don't have any nightmares hopefully um so you would normally start with drums like i said and then let the drummer have whatever he needs from the drums in his monitor wedge ears whatever and then they get their own personal thing okay you move on to the bass the bass guitar and a lot of times this is kind of a groove situation like the drummer will keep playing and then the bass player will come in and the bass player gets what he wants whoever the player is they get the first they get the first uh okay that yeah i got bass okay because they have to be able to hear themselves then you go now the drummer then you start moving down the line the drummer yeah you want bass okay um, the guitar player wants bass, wants bass. Who, who else needs bass? And then you move on to the guitar. The guitar starts playing along with the drummer and the bass player on this little groove or whatever you've decided to, to groove on. Um, kind of got to make it up as you go, right? They'll just start grooving on some little, you know, uh, musical thing. And um, it's usually some kind of a slow beat. It's not too crazy that the, that everybody can kind of sparsely hear, you know, hear the, the parts in between. Um, and then the guitar will play, like I say, the guitar player gets what he, he or she needs in their mix. And then you move on to the drummer and the bass player and the guitar player and the singer and everybody, you move all that down the line. Everybody gets the guitar and then you move on to say the keyboard, um, keyboard player gets what he or she needs in their mix so they can hear themselves and play. Then you start over, you start with the keyboards. Does the drummer need any keyboards? Does the, you know, you start, you know, and usually what they do is the player will raise their hand to the monitor engineer and like, I need, can I get that? And then the next person, you, you need it? Yes, yes, I need it. And, or if they don't need it, like if it's uh, um, something that they don't, like if the lead singer doesn't need to hear the snare drum, then he'll just go, no, no, I don't need it. Like, I'm fine. And you pass on to the next person and you just basically build your monitor mix at that, that level. I mean, you just keep moving across that level until you reach your 
you start to get to your vocals, you do a lead vocal. And, and at this point, it might be good to, usually you would stop the beat or whatever, because that you can't sing lead vocals to something that doesn't exist, right? You're just kind of jamming on this thing. <coughs> Excuse me. So what you would do is you would stop, the drummer would stop and everybody would stop playing their beat. And then the singer would just test their mic, you know, test one, two, three, blah, blah, blah. And a little up, a little down. Can you take some of the high end down uh, if it starts to feed back a little bit? Um, and I, I talked to Kyle, our sound guy, a little bit beforehand, before I started recording, just to get his take on feedback and how to best alleviate it. Now, there's a lot of technical things that you can do EQ-wise and different types of microphones and things like that with the pattern of the way the 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 cardioid pattern and all that goes on the mic but basically one really good rule of thumb would be to put if it is a wedge if it is like a speaker on stage is to put that speaker as far behind the microphone as you possibly can so if somebody wants to move it to the side of the microphone that might start to feed back because the more that the speaker is in front of the microphone the more it's going to feed back the more you're going to start getting squeals and things the more you turn it up so a good rule of thumb is to put that wedge as far back behind the microphone as you possibly can so it's behind it and the microphone is pointing in the opposite direction so that tends to get the least amount of feedback and you can just kind of move on from there so you your lead vocal would get there their vocal the way they need to and then you would move on to somebody else and they would test theirs by themselves and then then another person would get theirs and then you would pass it around you know who needs that person who needs that you just kind of share in each input you know like the keyboard player's vocal who needs that who needs the keyboard player's vocal I'll take it and then you would run through a song at that point you know once you feel like everything's you've got everything dialed in everything sounds good you would run through a song something that's simple that you know really well you know that that you're just used to doing it kind of becomes a routine after a while that's our first song that we do in our case in lone star our first song at soundcheck it seems like it's always been tequila talking and it's a funny thing about that song that that was our very first release that we ever put out as a recording band um and that is the first song that we always play when we Come on stage for sound check. Isn't that ironic? I mean, not ironic, but it's fitting. That was our first song, so we're going to sound check with it. It's a simple song. It's sparse enough to where it's not super loud. It's just very mid tempo. It's a good first song to sound check on, and we kind of move on from there. We do some other songs that are sort of more up tempo. And then one thing that Kyle was telling me that he likes to do is that whatever the first song that's going to be played on stage that night in the show, he wants to end the sound check with that song. So you end sound check with, with basically the same song that you're going to come out on stage with. So everything's already set. You've got everything set, the levels, everything. Not that those are going to change drastically through the night, but at least you've, you, you've got everything set. And now when the band comes out and plays the first song, you've already, that was the last thing you did. So everything's set and ready to go. It's just a good rule of thumb to do. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the way we do it. We pass things around now, um, since the advent of ear monitors, um, earbuds, those came around for us, uh, personally as a band, those came around to us in the late nineties, like early two thousands. We got in-ear monitors around 1998, 1999, I think something like that. Um, 
it, everybody was doing it. And uh, I was told by, uh, when we first started, we went from wedges, we were talking about getting these in-ear monitors and all that. Um, it, it was a huge step. It really was because you're basically, so we went from one of the loudest stage volumes because I'm a hard hitting drummer, right? And when I play hard, so does the guitar player has to turn up to be able to hear himself. And the bass player has to turn up to hear above the guitar and the drums. And the singer has to turn his wedge up. And it just, it's like a battle of volume. It's a volume battle. So we went from one of the loudest stage volumes because when we got ear monitors, we also got this big, huge sheet of plexiglass that went in front of the drums. It was a big uh, curved sheet. And we built this metal uh, sort of a frame that this flimsy little thin sheet of plexiglass, four by eight sheet, which we could just replace every couple of months or so if we needed to, if it got scratched. And it just slid down into this, you know, because the plexiglass was real flimsy and the thinner it is, the easier it is to curve and bend. So we bent this thing over into this frame and it made this nice curved plexiglass sheet that went all the way across the drums. So we literally went from one of the loudest stage volumes out there to one of the quietest because now you don't hear the drums on stage as much. They're kind of back in that, what I call the fishbowl. I used to be in kind of like, it looked like a fishbowl. Um, and we had, we got rid of all the wedges and went to in-ear monitors. So now we're on stage playing and you, you couldn't hardly hear anything because I, I think Michael used to run his guitar pretty much direct or he used to take his amp and turn it around backwards or something like that to where there wasn't a lot of stage volume at all. And, it was advantageous because the singers could hear, they could turn their vocals up and not hear a bunch of washy sound coming from the stage, like drums and guitars and things like and just ambient sound from the stage volume. Now, all of a sudden, we they can, it's almost like being in a studio. You've got the headphones in, the ear monitors, and nice and quiet. Sort of the problem with that was that we noticed when we first started doing the in-ear monitors was that we felt super disconnected from us to the audience. We couldn't hear the audience if they were saying something to us, or it just felt sort of like a euphoric thing, like we're in our own little euphoria. So we literally had to, I remember us having a little meeting about this, we literally had to set up some microphones out in front of the stage, like on the sides of the stage, kind of like right at where the stage ends right there. We'd set up these little bitty mic stands and put some like, I don't know, some little shotgun mics or something out into the audience. So we had literally audience mics running through our monitor mix so that we could hear the crowd, just a little bit of ambient like crowd noise because otherwise it just really was strange to be able to play and not hear any audience at all. It was like being like literally in a studio, like in a room. And it, it was a little disconcerting, um, and and it was it affected our performance a little bit because how do you how do you you know put on a good show and you get excited and move around on stage if you can't hear what's going on out front, you can't hear them applaud, you can't hear anything. So we it helped to set up some of those microphones out front. Now I mentioned Barney Castro, um, the late Barney Castro, and my good friend that used to run sound for Canyon. I remember when we first got our in-ear monitors, before we got our in-ear monitors, I told him, I was just talking to him, he was running sound for Toby Keith at the time, and 
he had told me, he said, Hey, you guys are getting near in ear monitors or talking about it. And he said, Whoa, man, he goes, make sure whoever's running your monitors, whoever your monitor person is, make sure they know what they're doing because you could blow out some eardrums so easy if you don't have someone that knows what they're doing, because think about it. You've got this thing in your ear and they're super powerful because they have to be able to be able to hear it and they have to be super robust. They can't just be cheap earbuds, you know, that you buy from Walmart or something. They, they're like, you know, super expensive. I think our first set of ear monitors that we got were oh, 500, 600, $700 or something like that for these things. Cause we had to get the in-ear molds done. You had to get in the little mold, like they squirt this rubber caulking stuff in, inside your ear. And it's kind of like the same stuff that the dentist uses to get impressions of your teeth. It's like this alginate. But they squirt it into your ears, and they get an impression of the inside of your ear. Now, it doesn't get into your eardrum or anything like that. It's, they're very careful about it. Um, but they get an impression of your ears, your left and your right. They send it off, and they make a mold, and then they put the uh, plastic or whatever in there, and they build the ear monitors around your little ear mold or whatever. So when you put those ear molds in, they fit your ear exactly. And the drivers inside those things are super strong. So you could blow some eardrums if you no one if the person running the monitor uh, desk uh, mixer is doesn't know what they're doing or they're not used to in-ear monitors, you could definitely bl- and I tell you there have been times when we were just mortified at the sound coming through someone would unplug something or plug something in that suddenly fed back or made a huge like sound and it would just you you can see guys on stage like ripping their ear monitors out like like ah like it's almost like someone sticking their ears with needles or something like that it was really painful so yeah that has happened i mean we've there's been some nightmares of ear monitor you know things that went on so yes i now i see what barney meant by that he said make sure that whoever's running the sound for the ear monitors for your monitor person knows what the heck they're doing. And uh, he was right about that because you really do have to learn that. So things change over the years, you know, um, also the whole feedback paradigm of on stage, the wedges and microphones and trying to do this volume war to get this vocal mic up over the drums and over the guitar and that kind of stuff. Uh, now all of a sudden you have in-ear monitors. You don't have, I'm not saying that there's no feedback ever because you could get feedback from front of house a little bit. Sometimes that happens, especially in smaller places. If we're playing like a dinner club and doing an acoustic show or something like that, there can be some feedback, you know, a little bit if you're not careful. Um, that happens. It's just normal. And to have a good sound man like Kyle, like our guy that we have, Kyle, he knows how to deal with that kind of stuff. And he can, he can kill a feedback in seconds because he knows kind of what, if he knows where it's coming from, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, um, so yeah. Um, so having a good sound check is so, um, it's so just important to do that. Um, and you know, I'll talk about another aspect, another thing good that can come from a sound check. I mentioned the good, bad, and the ugly. I think I've mentioned the bad, and I've mentioned the ugly, and all that about feedback and about in-ear monitor horrors and stuff like that. But one good thing that can come from it that that I've noticed in my career is that, um, you know, uh, you get to kind of jam a little bit, you know, and some of the cool things that can come from a sound check. Uh, one thing is is that if there's any 
ambiguity about a part or a, a song, um, a part in a song or vocals or anything that's going on that you can't fix live. You can't, there's no way to fix it live. You can't stop in the middle of a show and go, wait a minute, let's back up. Let's play that again and, and, and get it right. It just doesn't happen. It only can happen either during rehearsal or you can talk about it on the bus later, but not play through it. But on at Soundcheck, you can actually talk through and work out little parts and say, hey, I was wondering what you were doing on that one thing. Could you could we run through that real quick? And you get to rehearse. It's like a little mini rehearsal, I like to call it, a little mini rehearsal. And um, you also can kind of jam a little bit on some songs sometimes just to, you know, it's sound check. So you're just kind of testing out your equipment, make sure everything works. And you want it to be fun. You want it to be pleasurable and not just a nightmare, you know, or a mundane thing. You want it to be fun. So sometimes we'll jam around on little songs. And in some cases, those songs that we jammed on that we sort of, you know, were just playing with ended up being in our show. And I thought that was so cool. Here's a good example. Back um, in the early 2000s, we were putting together our show for a Lonely Grill album that we had just come out with, Amazed, and I'm already there. And I mean, I'm sorry, Amazed, and, and What About Now, and things like that. We were fixing to hit the road with those songs from the Lonely Grill album, and we were trying to work up a really cool show. We needed an encore, and we were just messing around. It was during rehearsal, and we were just messing around. Or no, it might have been Soundcheck. And we were just messing around with The Wall by Pink Floyd, and, you know, because I think I was just playing like a straight beat to get, you know, to sound check with, you know. And then Michael started just going, dun, da, 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 da. and then uh, the singer just started going, you know, we don't need no education. And it was like, wow, that was fun. We should do that somewhere in the show, like at the encore. So we actually worked that up, the whole song, um, into our encore. And we did that for years, you know, when we thought that would be kind of, uh, unexpected for Lone Star to be all these country songs. And at the end of the show, we go off stage and we come back on and we do the wall of all things, you know, and we used to get people to turn, uh, do their lighters and their, their phone. Well, this was before phone, before iPhones and stuff. We'd get them to do their lighters and stuff like that. And they would, it was really cool. Um, it felt more like kind of a rock show, you know, when we did the Pink Floyd thing. And then we would end with some other like life in the fast lane, some up-tempo thing But it was always cool to do, something that we actually originated from soundcheck or from a rehearsal or something like that. So that was fun. You can get to jam around on a couple of songs. And I will say in some cases, and Dean does this a lot, Dean, our keyboard player, will be just kind of noodle around on something. And someone will hit a little riff or a beat or a passage or a chord or something, a chord progression, and we'll kind of stop ourselves and kind of go, hey, what was that you were just doing? And then play it and he'll get out his phone and he'll record a little bit of like, what is that? And that will, a lot of times, you know, because he's a songwriter, will end up in a song somewhere or will end up being a song idea for something. So, you know, it's kind of cool that a lot of times during soundcheck, um, you can kind of play around and mess around and, you know, write songs, get tight, rehearse a little bit. Um that kind of thing, you know. So sound checks can be good in a way, you know, of course. You know, you got to work out the sound and stuff like that. Um, now, some of the ugly parts about it, besides the, you know, like in-ear monitor nightmares and the um, having to, you know, take the time to do each input and stuff like that. One of the other things that 
I will say that that can, could take away from soundcheck. There's some of the ugly things about it. Is that during the day when after the crew sets up and gets everything set, we have to leave the hotel, get in a runner van, and drive over to wherever the show is. Sometimes it's like 30 minutes away. We've had before where I remember getting in the runner van, driving 30 minutes all the way to the venue, this festival or whatever. We do the sound check. It takes like 20 minutes or so. We get in the van. We go all the way back to the hotel, 30 minutes, another 30-minute drive. Shower, get ready. Um, And it would be like a later show, like 10 o'clock, and then get in the van again and drive 30 minutes all the way back to the venue. Now, lately, it has been not so bad. You know, usually they're relatively close, but you still have to leave the hotel, get in a runner van, go over there, get up there, play the song. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that these are some of the things that could take away from the the magic of it or the fun of it, um, is that it's just kind of an inconvenience. You know, you, you have to stop your whole day, go over there, do the sound check, and then everything works fine. That's good. And then come back. Now, another thing about it is that you have to look at is your vocalist. The vocalist may need to rest his or her vocal, um, and doing a sound check sometimes could, could maybe you know it could be good or bad. Maybe it's a warm up for them, but if the vocalist is having any trouble at all, um, which God, I can only imagine if you lost your voice as a singer and you're, you know, I've heard it happen before, you know, and you're expected to do this show, and you have to get out there and sing, and you've lost your voice due to not getting enough sleep or not being a little sick or something or having a super long sound check and having to belt out a bunch of songs and then have to do a whole show at the end of that. You know, that's, that's, that can really, you know, that can really be a, a thing, you know, and it could be bad. That could be one of the ugly, bad things about sound check is, is your vocalist getting tired. So in some cases, we would do, you know, a sound check where the songs were a lower range, or we would do the sound check. They would the singer would check their guitar, but they wouldn't sing. We would just do the do the music. If they were questioning their vo- their the health of their voice, they just wouldn't sing during sound check, and they would, we would just do it musically, and understanding that they need a little bit of time to let their voice heal. You know, um, totally understandable. And it can be it can be really grueling out there on the road to have to you know schedule in this sound check where you come in and you know you have to kind of get everything sounding good, especially on fly dates. Fly dates are especially stressful because you're you don't have your own gear a lot of times. It's you having to deal with rental stuff like I mentioned earlier, and um, it just can be a it can it can be a nightmare or it can be a total pleasure. Just you never know what you're going to get. Um, when we went over to Iraq to play over there, well, obviously we couldn't bring our own equipment because you know it's a plane ride over there and it's like really far. So we rented gear uh, over there, and I have to say the the drums that we got that I got for that. A uh, little series of shows that we did. We did. We were over there for about four or five days. I think about a week or so. And the show, the drum kit that we got that had to be like loaded up and palletized in like um, C one thirties, you know, planes. They had to, you know, 
loaded all up on a pallet and that kind of stuff. Um, those drums were not the best. They weren't like, you know, something you'd find on stage at uh, a big, huge concert in the States or whatever. They were, you know, it was almost like I, I kind of equivalent. And I'm not complaining because I know it's over there in Iraq, right? But it was kind of like someone has a cousin that has a drum kit in their garage and they hadn't played it in a long time. And uh, here, you can use that. That's kind of what the drum kit was like over there. Things were kind of rusted and the heads were old. But you know what? We went and we did our show for the troops and we supported them. And they were so thankful to have us come over there and entertain them, especially the song I'm Already There. It meant so much to those um, folks over there, those people in the military that gave up so much of their lives and their time to go over there and, you know, risk the ultimate sacrifice to go over there and, uh, you know, be overseas like that in Iraq. So we were only all too glad to go over there and perform for them. And I wasn't complaining at all. I was just ecstatic that we were there playing, but I will say from a, from a, a equipment standpoint, um, I just didn't know what to expect. I thought, I guess I kind of went into it thinking like, oh, it's the military. They're going to have the most awesome kit, like, you know, brand new DW kit with new symbols and all that. It wasn't the case, but that's okay. Um, I made it work. I tuned everything up the best I could, and we put on a great shows, and we had a great time, and the soldiers just loved it. And I think that I want to say that we probably, well, I know for a fact that our autograph signing sessions after the show were were way way longer than the show itself the show itself was like what an hour and a half or something like that and we would sign autographs after the show for probably up to four hours because you know we weren't going to turn away any soldiers that wanted to get an autograph or a picture with us and we still to this day still see pictures when the people that come to our shows that have long since gotten out of the military. They come to our shows and say, hey, remember when you guys were over in Iraq? Um, here's a picture of us, you know, and it was just so great to see that. But, um, you know, like I said, from an equipment standpoint, from a sound check standpoint, it got a little bit trying, you know, but we were all glad to do it, and I'm glad that we did it. And, um, okay, so back to regular, you know, sound checks and things like that. We are so fortunate that we have the crew that we have out there with Lone Star, um, because they are experts in their field. Each guy knows his work. And they also not only sound stuff, they have to set up video walls and things like that. So it's like um, double the amount of work that they would normally have to do. We only have about four or five guys, you know, that, that do all this stuff. And they have to each set up their own little part of this world that we call Lone Star on stage, video screens, monitors, um, all that stuff, all the video content and stuff that goes through, all the, the audio lines and the video lines and everything, the guitar tech, guitar world over there. Um, Jade, he has to tune all the guitars for everybody. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot of work, and you guys out there with Lone Star, our guys, you guys do a great job. Um, kudos to y'all for doing such a great job and making sound checks go so smooth. They're actually fun. I enjoy doing sound check now. Because we run through our songs, and of course, Christmas time is coming up now, and it's always my favorite time of year on stage because we get to play these Christmas songs that we've had over the years of Christmas albums, and a couple of Christmas songs that we do not not from our albums, but that we've worked up, like "Carol of the Bells" by the Trans Siberian Orchestra. 
which is totally awesome. We did it a few years in a row with Phil Vassar and his crew, his band, where we all nine of us on stage, nine musicians on stage would get up there and play Carol of the Bells. It was so awesome. <coughs> Excuse me. And we got a standing ovation every time that we did that. And it was such a pleasure to do. So now we we do a kind of a scaled down version of the same thing with just our players that we have on stage. We sort of adapted it to um so in other words, we don't we don't have Patty playing the flute part and all that stuff, you know, that, that, that plays with Phil Vassar. So we we just kind of worked it out um, on these parts, and we worked out Carol of the Bells to do it with our little, you know, five-piece that we have on stage. But it's so fun to do, and all the songs that we've had from our albums. We love doing Christmas time stuff. And that's one of the reasons I love Soundcheck now is because we're starting to kind of work up those songs and go through them, kind of rehearse them a little bit. So it's kind of like Soundcheck slash rehearsal. And um, it's a great way to kind of work things out that you may not be sure of in your mind. Like, how does that part go? Or um, I'm not sure about how this transitions to this song. So we run through them at Soundcheck, and you get a little bit clearer uh, mental vision of how these things are going to go. And, of course, before I believe before we go out on our actual Christmas uh, tour after Thanksgiving, um, we will probably have like a rehearsal or two where it's just us sitting and just running through the whole show, make sure everything, you know, is there anything, is the order okay? Is there anything that needs to be removed out of the set list or is it running too long or does this song need a little work or whatever? So we'll do that. And, uh, you know, we just have a good time doing all that. And I love playing those Christmas songs and medleys and stuff that we do. And what we do is we mix in the, Christmas songs with a, a few of our hits because I figure if you know people come out to see a Lone Star show they're going to want to hear Amazed and I'm already there and Memphis and uh, you know what about now and all the hits and things like that so we do it you know Christmas and the hits is what we call it um, we do some Christmas songs and then we play a few hits do a few more Christmas songs and we I think we may do a couple more hits like Memphis or something like that and then we'll end with uh, we'll do Amazed, and then we'll end with something like, I think we end with Carol of the Bells because it's such a big, uh, how do you follow that? You know, that's such a big uh, song, and it's a long song. It's, I think it's about seven or eight minutes long or something like that. Um, I could be wrong about that. Maybe it's five or six minutes, but it's longer than a normal song. And it has such a big ending that when you end that thing and you get the standing ovation, it's like, you know, you've just done this huge, you know, uh, you know piece and what do you follow with that? What do you, Phil Vassar had a good uh, comment about that. You know, when we did a few times, we did Carol of the Bells, and then we would end with Holly Jolly Christmas or something like that and say goodnight to everybody. He's like, it just sounds so puny after we've done Carol of the Bells. So then the second year we toured, he says, no, we just need to end with Carol of the Bells. That You, you can't follow that kind of, you know, audience response and that kind of music and standing ovation and that kind of thing. So... You know, we would always, so the second year we did the thing with Phil Vassar, we ended with Carol of the Bells, and that was that was, that was was really huge fun. Um, but the problem with that is there's no vocals in that song. It's all instrumental. So we would sort of set it up ahead of time and say, you know, this is, we're going to take it out with this, um, and we would say our goodbyes and that kind of thing, and then we would do the song and then walk off stage. It worked perfect. So, yeah. So sound checks can be great. They can be good. They can be bad, and they can be really ugly. You know, sometimes... Um, you know, they can just last long. I remember having to do a, a sound check uh, before that, you know, everything was going wrong. This, things had to be fixed. 
um, that th- there was uh, technical problems and it was just like last for hours and hours and hours. And I was just talking recently to a, a friend of mine, Becky Priest, who plays keyboards with uh, Lori Morgan. And she said they were out. And I don't know if it was with Lori Morgan or if it was with another band that she was playing with, uh, filling in or something, because she she plays with several bands. But she said that, oh, Lord, this sound check has la- is four hours and going and running, still going. And I thought, well, you know, I've had some sound checks like that before where they just went on and on and on and this isn't this still feeding back or they can't get that microphone to work or this wireless thing is causing interference or there's a buzz in the guitar and there's you know um input problems with that or the kick drum is distorted or whatever it just could go on and on and on sound checks can last forever um but with a good crew and a good band just learning how to do a good efficient sound check and to what order to do the sound check in and how the sort of the layering of things and the way a, a proper sound check should go um, can make the difference between a really great show and a eh, sort of a nightmare, you know? Um, so, you know, hopefully this information that I give you about sound check um, has kind of helped a little bit. You know, if you're thinking about making a career in music and you uh, don't really know what to expect yet and it's kind of new to it, or if you've been out there playing for a while and you're having problems with your sound check, um, hopefully this will uh, add some light to the darkness of what sound check could be and hopefully help um, sound checks in the future go smoother. Um, uh, you know, it's very technical and it can be very uh, time consuming, but. You know, once you get that down, uh, how to conduct a, a perfect sound check, then I think your shows will start going a lot better. And I will say that if you do get ever get a chance to go watch a band do their sound check, if you can ever sneak in or whatever, uh, if you get an offer to come to if somebody you know plays in a really big band or whatever, um, it's kind of like the behind the scenes of a movie of making a movie. It's really cool. Can you see kind of their true personalities and you kind of, they, they're kind of goofing around a little bit or they may, you know, to see, um, you know, like uh, Kenny Loggins or something like that play, um, like, uh, play like a, a journey song or something, you know, just, just messing around at soundcheck. You just never know what they're going to do, you know, cause it's just really fun. It's great fun to sit and watch a soundcheck. I really, love watching other bands sound check and if i ever get a chance to go over early if we're opening up for somebody for trace atkins or somebody like that i always like to go over and watch their sound check and watch the the songs that they go through and listen to the way the sound man out front i'll go out front and listen to the way they kind of like layer the sound and they'll add a little bit more to the drums and make the snare sound a little fatter and boy by the end of that sound check he's got it sounding just amazing and i love that process and I was I was just trying to imagine what it would be like for somebody that had never heard us before to go out front during our sound check at a big festival or something and listen to us do our sound check. And I've seen people sit out there before and watch and listen and this with a smile on their face. And um, I always love that. And um, anyway, so I hope that this podcast uh, about sound check, the good, the bad and the ugly has breathed a little you know, fresh air into, you know, what could be nightmares of sound checking or questions you may have about, you know, how does that really work? You know, how does a sound check work? How does a band get to sound so good on stage? 
and um, not have to do a plug and play is what we call it, uh, or better aptly named plug and pray, we tend to call it, um, where you, sometimes in Nashville, we do this um, thing for the CMA Country Music Festival downtown, and it's down there by the river, and they don't have any time during the day for sound check and they just run one band after another band after another band you have about i think you have maybe five minutes in between acts to get up there get everything set get everything plugged in and line checked and then you just have to go and play it's literally a plug and play or a plug and pray that you pray that everything is working and that you're going to be able to hear your mix and it's usually on wedges sometimes you can bring your own ear monitors but it's just a nightmare waiting to happen. So you almost got to just like take it with a grain of salt on situations like that. Like almost like, and I've learned how to train my brain to adapt to situations like that. And to me, I try to think of it as I am walking onto another band's equipment and I'm just sitting in. I'm just sitting in for a couple of songs. There's another band playing, and I walk up, and I'm playing this person's kit, and nothing's perfect, but I'm just going to jam. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm just playing uh, for a couple songs, and we're just jamming. You almost have to think of it that way and smile and have a good time, and hopefully it's not a nightmare. But if you go up there expecting everything to sound perfect and to just – I'm talking about if it was a plug and pray. Um, For everything to sound perfect and for it to be just like exactly the way you're used to, that's not going to happen ever on a plug and pray. So hopefully you don't have to do too many of those and you get a sound check, a really good, healthy, full sound check and get the sound right. And the sound man gets it just right. So when you come out on stage, you sound perfect. And that's the goal. That's what everybody wants. And I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and uh, exploring the ins and outs of sound check. And if you have any questions, reach out to me if you want to on uh, Facebook, which is um, Keach Rainwater, or on Instagram, which is Lone Drummer. That's with one M, Lone Drummer, L-O-N-E-D-R-U-M-E-R. Um, and ask questions. Feel free. I will answer as best I can from my 40 years of experience of <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly aspects of soundcheck. And I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving holiday, and I will see you next week. See you later.